Hey everyone, welcome to Founders Fireside Chat, the show where we meet the next generation of startups and the founders behind them. Today we meet David Pollan, the co-founder of Aloa. Aloa is a platform for outsourcing software development for startups. From launching the company in a college dorm room to building into a multi-million dollar business today, Aloa has a story that we can all learn from. And with that, let's get straight to the show. Thanks for coming on, David. This is actually our first Founders Fireside Chat, so welcome and congrats. Let's go. Love it. Love it. Huge. Hopefully we can, uh, hopefully we can make a big splash. Yeah, definitely. Let's do it. So why don't we start with a little brief background on yourself and a description of Aloha. For sure. Um, yeah, so my name is David Pollan. Um, I am 24, graduated from Vanderbilt and uh, currently living in Chicago. Um, always kind of had the entrepreneurial bug and, uh, you know, fortunate and, and happy to have uh, jumped into that journey straight out of college. Um, so, you know, the story of Aloha, uh, we, we started Aloha while we were in college. So it's uh, uh, five of us total, five person co-founding team, four of us from Vanderbilt, one, um, one non-Vandy and started out with um, one. So one of my co-founders or CEO, Christian, um, he is a tech whiz guru himself and, um, you know, just building out apps, kind of doing student tech consulting slowly through time, kind of building the right team and, um, people coming and going, um, just through like different projects and over time, um, you know, slowly came in the, the team itself. Um, I was the last one to, to join the team to, uh, you know, where, where we're at today. Um, and after I joined, um, or when I joined is really when kind of the, the pivot right before I joined the, the pivot to the current model that we have. So, um, you know, Aloha as what it is today was really started when um, I was a senior in college and we stumbled upon the problem because we were looking to expand our own dev team and, uh, you know, there was just a massive pain point in, in navigating that space. Um, we couldn't really afford domestic devs and we were looking overseas and every single person was just saying, no, don't do it. Don't do it. It's horror stories. It's the worst thing ever. That was just kind of a head scratcher to us. You know, why do we live in a digital age and the most digital remote industry is the only one we seem to have not be able to figure out how to do consistently overseas. Um, and so our high level mission is to create a world where anyone can innovate freely. And at that point, we saw software as a barrier to innovation, um, especially for startups. And so that's kind of how we got into it, just kind of fell in love with the problem um, of, of outsourcing software development and making it more accessible. Nice. Yeah, love that background. Really appreciate it. Um, I guess you, know, you touched on it where you always had this entrepreneurial bug. And that's something that I've seen in myself and a lot of other people. Kind of where did that come from at first? Yeah, I think... Uh, Entrepreneurship for sure is runs runs in my family. Um, so you know, my dad has his own law practice. Um, my grandpa was an entrepreneur. My my uncle's uh, an entrepreneur, and um, it's just been always something that's kind of attracted me. I, I would say, kind of throughout my life, I've just always been kind of trying to start stuff and just do cool things. Um, my sophomore junior year of college, I tried um, you know going more of like the consulting kind of finance route. And um, after going through that, it just wasn't for me. 
um, you know, that type of lifestyle was just not really what was interest uh, of interest to me. And that's kind of what got me then back into, into entrepreneurship and um, kind of doing what I'm doing now. Got it. Great. Uh, yeah. So it seems like your journey kind of is the classic story of starting a business in your dorm to then building it into a multi-million dollar company today. So congratulations. Uh, what, what did you think when you were first starting, what was the most important thing to get right in your business? Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's two things that stick out to me. Um, first and foremost is that you're having fun. Um, like you're doing it because you actually want to be doing it. Um, you know, that, that's definitely the biggest, the biggest thing, especially when you're in college, there's so many distractions and there's so many things going on. If you're not actually having fun with what you're doing, you're not actually like eager and excited to be doing it, then it's probably not, you know, the most, the, the best use of your time and probably not something that you're going to be, um, building in the right manner. So that, that's definitely the first is that, you know, we're, we're all having fun, um, during it. The, the second is definitely, um, it's a quote by Uri Levine. Uh, he was the founder of Waze and, uh, his quote is, uh, fall in love with the problem, not the solution. And I think that's something that's really stuck with me and something that I think is absolutely instrumental to the success of any company. If you fall in love with the problem itself, um, then failure no longer serves as a barrier, um, right? It's, uh, it's the, the Thomas Edison kind of paradigm where didn't find 10,000, he didn't fail 10,000 times, he found 10,000 ways that didn't work. Um, and that, that's the same thing for starting a company, right? If you're in love with the problem, then um, any roadblocks and stumbles and pain points that you face, they're, they're not fails. Um, they're simply learning experiences to allow you to iterate to then get one step closer to the right solution. Um, so I think, you know, making sure that you have that frame of reference and mentality is, is really big. Definitely. And that, I think that's one of the most important things to look for in a company is a, a management team that really does love the problem. Because like you said, your first solution might not be the one that actually sticks, but yeah. you'd be able to get past that. So I guess, what is it about the problem that you love and it makes you so obsessed? Yeah. So, you know, the problem itself is outsourcing um, and, and really aligning just with our high level mission of creating a world where anyone can innovate for you. Um, so that's really kind of our driver and what guides our thoughts is in terms of like, you know, what's, what's our roadmap? What are we looking to do? Um, one of the reasons why that's so valuable to us and especially in times when we face pain points is because keeping ourselves focused on that mentality um, really helps us take those pain points and uh, more stressful experiences as learning, uh, you know, experiences to allow us to iterate. Um, if we, we navigate a, a really hard pain point, um, you know, something is, is going on with a client, whatever it be, you know, what we kind of reflect back to ourselves is, okay, we're doing all of this stuff and there's still these pain points that are happening with outsourcing. All this is telling us is that we're like, we're, we're, we're in the right space. Like even with all this stuff that we're doing, there's still pain points. So imagine what the pain points would be without us doing it. So yes, it's a struggle and it's, you know, a frustration that may be apparent right now, but ultimately it's just allowed us to identify another pain point that someone might face so we can figure out how to mitigate it to make sure no one faces it again. Definitely makes sense. And, and how are you trying to solve the problem and how is that solution iterated throughout the life of the company? For sure. So we're, we're a platform for, for outsourcing software development. So 
Um, we really have a three-pronged process. Um, first is our partner network. Second is our platform. Third is the strategist. So starting with partner network, it's really important that you can trust who you're working with. So we've uh, vetted through thousands of firms around the world, qualifying them on a handful of different metrics, characteristics. Um, we've qualified only 11 firms so far to be within our network. Um, they're based out in India, Ukraine, Moldova, Slovakia, and Colombia. And we've uh, visited all of our partners um, out in India and we'll be visiting, um, you know, plan to be visiting our other partners as well. Um, and we only work with firms, reason being we found that overseas talent, uh, contractors, uh, we found have a tendency to be focusing on the contract itself, whereas firms tend to have more of a relationship focus and we're a very relationship driven company. The second piece being the platform, we were really frustrated with the existing management tools out there. Uh, just didn't necessarily think that they reflected a management experience that was conducive to a non-technical individual. Um, you know, you have the JIRAs of the world, but if you're not technical, navigating and using JIRA is just a nightmare. And uh, just in and of itself, doesn't necessarily always provide the transparency and action items that, that are needed. So built out our own platform that's built specifically for managing those relationships. Um, you know, so you can be non-technical, you can be technical, whatever it be, uh, but you have a very easy roadmap to managing your dev team. And then uh, we also have Aloha Pay, which is a part of that, um, which allows our clients to pay us and we pay out to the partner firms. That way clients don't have to do with foreign transaction fees or exchange rates. Last piece of the puzzle then being the strategist. So, there's always some aspect of humanity that's needed. And that's really where the strategist fits in. So it's someone from Aloha who gets to know the client, understands their business, their needs, makes sure that we help them build out those requirements, match them to the right partner firm. And then uh, the, the biggest kind of value that's really gonna come is our development audits. So there's, there's no global standard when it comes to development best practices. And that's really one of the driving pain points because software is so variable that you can't really just have one kind of structure process um, as a one size fits all model. And so, uh, you know, up to 70% of software issues tend to be to, due to miscommunication and lack of structure, not to the code quality itself. So it's really important that as a software dev experience, you're really adapting to the needs of the client and what their environment is. So before each project begins, we outline dev strategies. Um, it's always our role to be you know, educating the client and providing as much value as we can. And then uh, every other week, we do an audit on the partner firm just to ensure that they're adhering to those strategies so we can be preventative rather than reactive. Definitely, that's super helpful. Uh, one thing you highlighted that I think is important is you, you guys value relationships, not only with your partners, but I think with your clients, obviously. Um, and I think that probably takes an ultra heightened focus on customer service. How do you in ingrain that in your company culture and how do you maintain that culture as you start to scale? Yeah, great question. Um, relationships is, is everything. And especially when it comes to tech and, and software development it's an industry that inherently lacks transparency because if you aren't technical, you can see code, but that doesn't tell you anything. And so it's, it's really important to, to be building that strong relationship um, and to really be serving the client. Um, our, our kind of you know, internal sales philosophy um, is that we sell to serve. You know, our, our clients, our first priority is always to serve them as, as best we can. 
um, always trying to leave a call with uh, providing you know, the, the individual with some aspect of value. Um, even if they may not have been a good fit, you know, it's always our role to provide them with value. So maybe we can point them in a better direction, provide them some resource. Um, education is, is a huge component. So especially if a client uh, isn't technical themselves, we really try to take the time to explain the concept so they really understand the why and the what behind uh, you know, the, the engagement and what's actually going on. And I think a way that we, you know, will maintain that culture internally um, and, and as we scale is, you know, how we manage ourselves internally. So when we have our, you know, internal sales meetings and, and run through our, our KPIs, one of the most important KPIs for us is uh, innovation and intangible ones. So not necessarily about how much we, you know, how many contracts we closed or how much money we made. Um, or how successful the project was. And all of those are, of course, very important metrics. But the intangible innovation metric is really to ensure that we as a sales team are always providing additional value. Um, you know, what's, you know, so during those weeks, we always will run through, you know, what's, what's something that you did that provided, um, you know, intangible value to a client? What did, what did you teach them? Um, did you direct them to a certain, you know, source that would help them? And uh, we have metrics internally that, you know, we, we try to hit each week to ensure that we're always providing value beyond just the, the service itself. That, that's a really interesting con concept, the intangible innovation. How do you guys quantify that? So it, it's pretty subjective. Um, and it's really just, you know, you'll just kind of talk about something cool you did, uh, you know, the, the past week that provided that value. So um, you know, for example, this, this past, uh, this past week, so on, we, we do our sales things on Mondays, um, this past week, one of the intangible values, uh, that we provided was connecting one of our startups to a potential investor. Um, sometimes though it's, you know, taking an hour out of the day and really diving into different concepts. Um, other times it could be, you know, maybe connecting someone to another company that they could possibly partner with and have a really good collaboration out of. Um, so just really trying to take the service um, that we provide to those to those clients and, and basically saying, okay, as the strategist, you know, what are you doing outside of your typical sales role um, that that's providing additional value? Definitely. And I, as an outsider looking in, I definitely see that uh, with, for example, the testimonials on your site or the free resources that you offer on your website. Mm -hmm. So I definitely hear what you're saying there. Uh, it, it seems like with this culture of, you know, heightened customer service, talent seems to be everything. So how do you, yeah. how do you attract top talent as an early startup? Yeah. At the beginning, it was all manual, right? So like with, with vetting our partner firms, um, just a lot of manual work and, and definitely giving, you know, the kudos to, um, you know, Chris and Brian and, and Reese for doing a lot of that manual effort. Um, Dawei and I more, more spearhead the sales side. Um, so it was just a lot of, you know, searching the web, scraping and, and finding all the different shops out there. Um, at the very beginning, it's really easy to begin the uh, vetting process of just looking at the website. You know, does it look like something that we would be proud of? Would we be comfortable handing a website like this over to a client? And uh, if the answer is no, then we wouldn't trust them to, to do a project for, for one of our clients. And um, that process in and of itself, you know, can get rid of like 70% or so of, of the potential firms we would look through. Um, at this point, we now are starting to get um, a, a decent inflow of firms who will start applying to the network. 
Um, and then we kind of just put them through the vetting process. But, um, you know, again, we, we do keep the, keep it very strict. So it's, um, definitely a very tough process to, to pass. Um, in terms of talent though, more in-house of like, you know, employees and hiring, the big thing for us is passion. Um, you know, we, we started Aloe in college, so we, we can't sit here and say, you know, you have to have some experience or, or whatever it be. Um, cause we didn't have experience. We, we had passion. Um, we're, we're definitely big believers that you can, you can teach a skill you can't teach passion. So, um, you know, for us, it's about finding the people who are really aligned with our mission, believe in what we're doing, um, find value in, in the service and support that we're providing to others and are just passionate and obsessed with, you know, what their role would be. So if it's a marketing person, you know, we just want to see that they're obsessed with marketing. You know, they're researching it and doing different marketing stuff on their own time because they just enjoy it. Like they actually have fun. Um, so if you're passionate, you'll have fun and, and that'll then just kind of further build a, a good team dynamic. Yeah, I love that. You can't te teach passion. Kind of creates the, the culture that you're looking for. For sure. Uh, yeah, and I, I know for this next question, I know it's company specific, uh, but how do you think about you know what your next big hire should be? What's what's the thought process behind that? Yeah, we're we're likely going to be the, the next hire is going to be more in the sales side, so bringing on another strategist. Um, so that that's kind of the angle right now to just grow in that capacity and um, hopefully lighten the load a little bit on uh, myself and Dawe, um, as we're also looking to spin out a, a SaaS product. Um, so it's a uh, alloa pay we're, we're spinning it out as, as an entity of itself um, in the b2b invoicing space um, just we found a lot of value and it decreased our collection times for invoices by around like 70 percent and decreased the processing fees we were paying um, by you know roughly same percentage so we had a handful of clients reach out and, and you know ask to use it themselves um, so we're now kind of putting some effort in, in that direction too so Sales will be huge to bring someone on in that capacity. Um, we'll likely want to bring on some marketing people too eventually. Interesting. Could you touch a little bit more on the Aloha Pay? Uh, how did that solution come about? Um, and a little bit more detail around that. Yeah, definitely. So it it came about in a you know fairly organic way, similar how Aloha itself came to be. Um, we ourselves were facing the pain points of invoicing two years ago. It was just taking us a while to collect. Um, most of our clients were paying good credit card. And so we were eating a lot of fees. And just organizationally speaking, it's just hard to kind of manage of seeing, you know, what's the status of each invoice? When are the next ones going out? Um, kind of that, that, whole, that whole gambit. And we looked out into the market to see if there was anything that we liked. Um, you know, there, there's solutions out there. There's the QuickBooks of the world. But what we really didn't like about that was just the look and feel of the invoice. Um, you know, when, when you get that email, it feels like an invoice, you know, you, you put in your payment information and it, it's not necessarily a, a positive experience um, when you're paying. So we built that Aloha Pay, kind of redefined the, the design, the look and feel of it. So you have a lot more transparency in organization, um, redid the look of an invoice. So it's more of like a one click pay as if you're like checking out on Amazon rather than a you know, scary invoice. Um, and then built in some kind of automation features. So automated email sequencing for you know, auto reminders that we don't have to be manually finding up, um, recurring invoices. That way, once you put it in once, you're good to go and it's just kind of on its own. So 
um, really just trying to solve our own pain points. Um, we, we really never intended to get into this space. Uh, the, the reason we did was just because we had a handful of clients reach out asking to use it um, for their own businesses, for, for their own uh, clients. And, you know, at that point we thought, okay, this can, this can be providing value to other companies as well. Um, you know, if you can decrease your accounts receivable and, and decrease your processing fees, um, you know, you as a company, you're increasing your liquidity, which furthers innovation. And, um, you know, therefore we, we thought it aligned with our high level mission. So, um, now we're, now we're putting a little bit more effort into it. Yeah. I love that story. Uh, I'm excited to see how that evolves. Uh, kind of switching gears. seems like you guys have experienced a lot of growth early on. How have you guys been able to finance what's been the approach and what have been some of the lessons learned? Yeah. Uh, so thankfully we're, we're bootstrapped. Um, so we haven't taken on any funding and, uh, you know, definitely feel grateful to have gotten to a point where we're able to, you know, use our profits to just kind of continue fueling the growth. Um, you know, we, we were in, we were in a nice position being that we were in, we were in college, right? So nothing else to do with our time. So we were like, all right, screw it. Let's, let's research this. Let's work on it. Um, so it was, it was a lot lower of, of a risk in that, you know, also being a five person founding team and having three of the team members being technical themselves, um, we were really able to kind of put together all of the resources and efforts that we needed between us. Um, and, and, you know, therefore didn't necessarily need to take on funding. Mm -hmm. And in the future, how do you think about what the strategy strategy should be? Is there a tipping point where you might need to bring in some outside capital? We don't plan on it. Um, our, you know, one of the reasons why we're, we're not as interested in it is, you know, it's the saying, if, if you get an investor, you got a boss now. Um, and to us, we care more about smart growth rather than quick growth. Um, we, of course, want to grow, but our mission is what's steering us and our passion lies in the problem, not necessarily the money. Um, and it's really important for us to maintain the integrity of what we're doing as we scale. And uh, scaling too quick can can many times uh, harm the integrity of, of the service itself. So, you know, we'll just we'll just kind of keep growing and and hopefully organically scaling the team when it makes sense. Um, and other than that, you know, just really kind of playing it by ear, um, growing the company, just working to continue solving pain points, helping out startups and and people how we can, and you know, hopefully keep building out other businesses as well that. Um, you know, align with our, our mission to create a world where anyone can innovate freely. Definitely makes sense. And if it's working for you now, why, why switch it up? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I hear you. Uh, kind of switching gears. So I, I came across a quote of yours that I really loved. I thought it was impactful and extremely relevant to other entrepreneurs. It was about failure. And you said, fail fast and fail frequent. Uh, yeah. And I, I love this view um, that you have and how you embrace failure. Can you kind of walk us through that mindset and maybe how it's helped you guys get past specific moments uh, during your early stages? For sure. Um, yeah, I mean, startup is all about failure. It, that, that, that's how you learn. That's how you know what doesn't work. Um, and failure really isn't the same definition of failure as, as you know, most of the world holds, holds, holds it. Failure really just means iteration. Um, you know, you're going to be failing or iterating over and over again, um, especially when you're starting a company and you don't necessarily have experience in the space. You got to learn somehow and, and you just got to talk with people and, and figure it out and test different strategies. And most of those strategies are going to fail. Um, a lot of the efforts that we've done and the different you know, ways we've tried testing things 
vast majority have failed. It's just about keeping proper analytics and data and, and just continuing to test new strategies until something hits. And those past failures is, is really what helps drive you to achieving um, the, the right solution. So for us, uh, we, we log pain points um, on a daily basis. We're always logging pain points. We have a pain points table that we log them in. And every week we review those pain points. Um, just to understand, okay, where are the pain points? What, what are we feeling? How are things going? And the ability to be able to, uh, you know, in a very organized manner, review those pain points and understand where the pains are, where you're failing per se, uh, really helps drive, you know, where our eyes should be and where we need to be innovating and iterating on. So, you know, as, as you, you know, if anyone is to think about starting a company, you can't really be afraid of failure. And, uh, you know, it's when someone asked me a, a bit back, you know, are, are you afraid of failure? Um, you know, being in a startup, it's very high risk. And, you know, I thought about it for a second and I was like, you know, no, I've, I've never really even thought about that because going into entrepreneurship, you know, I was, I was expecting to fail. Um, failure is a part of the equation. So, you know, failing quote unquote, wasn't really something I thought about because, that fail, failing isn't the the final answer. Failing is never the final answer in entrepreneurship. It's, it's simply an iteration. Yeah, I think that's that's great. Something we could all take away from. Uh, and I, I really think it's a smart approach with logging the pain points and reviewing them weekly. Was this something that you did early on or is this something that you kind of learned uh, throughout the evolution of the company? Definitely learned. Um, you know, so we, we've been doing it for a bit, but our, our platform, our products, our processes, everything is really built via iteration. Um, it, it's all built and, and put together retroactively after analyzing, you know, experiences and sentiments and how things have gone. It's, um, you know, looking back at how things went and how we can improve upon it and how we could get more efficient. And so the pain points came from, you know, where there were a bunch of issues and different headaches that were coming up here and there. And we needed a better way to keep track of those and figure them out and, and see what's going on and how we can alleviate them. So, um, you know, that led us to kind of creating our, our pain points table, which is now a very much a core of our, of our process. Definitely. And it, it sounds like, um, your approach to failure, obviously you guys have a great support system with five close co-founders. Could you, could you touch on that? What's it like starting a company with, with five co-founders? What are some of the challenges and some of the, um, the benefits? Yeah, I feel blessed beyond belief. Um, my co-founders, they're, they're, the, they're awesome. Great, great dudes. Um, Christian, Reese, Brian, Dawe, awesome guys. Um, you know, I, I, of course, wouldn't be here without them because I, I joined the team and always feel grateful for them bringing me in as, you know, the final founder. Um, but, you know, in, in looking for a, a founding team, um, we get a lot of feedback a lot of times on, you know, five people's too many people to, to start a company. And it, it definitely goes against, you know, conventional thought, but to us, it's, it, it, it just works because none of us really care about the money. We're, we're all really focused on the mission and the dream. And when you can eliminate ego, um, things tend to work pretty well. And, and for us, you know, we, we, we're all aligned. We want to create a world where anyone can innovate freely. We see the problem as outsourcing. Our focus is solving that problem. Um, and so that kind of comes before anything else. And, 
um, given that we're all aligned and on the same page and um, it, it makes it really easy in that sense. But, you know, we, we keep the culture light. We, we mess around a ton, um, you know, tons of goofing around and having fun. So it's, it's just all about, you know, having fun with the people you're working with. Definitely. I love that. So before we move to something I call the fast five, I just want to hear, where do you see the company going in five years and 10 years down the line? Yeah, good, good question. I guess the short answer, I'm not sure. And, you know, I think we're, we're kind of leaving it open-ended in, in that regard uh, intentionally. Our main focus is on, is on you know, core Alloa, um, just building out the service and uh, building our client base and trying to help as many startups as we can. And, you know, just anyone generally speaking from the tech side. So, you know, in five years, hopefully we can say that we've continued to further our mission of creating that world where anyone can innovate freely and we're hopefully five years closer. Um, but, you know, five, 10 years, I, I see us still running with the core business and just spinning out other businesses, um, you know, that we think align or complementary um, or even have nothing to do with what we're doing, but, you know, align with our mission. So, um, you know, leaving it open-ended and, and just having fun and we'll, we'll see where life takes us. Yep. You got to be able to pivot for sure. So makes sense. Okay. So now to the fast five, uh, these are standard questions that I'm going to ask every entrepreneur. I think there's a lot of great takeaways that we can, um, we can take from each specific answer. Please. So starting with the first one, what's the most important advice that you could give a fellow entrepreneur? Yeah. Uh, going back to, to the quote from Ori Levin, fall in love with the problem, not the solution. Um, Hands down, if you fall in love with the solution, it's really easy to get deterred the moment you realize that that solution may not work. Um, if you fall in love with the problem, then you're always motivated to continue iterating and taking one step closer to the right solution. What's one tool that you think every entrepreneur should implement in their company? A CRM of, of any sort. Do it early and, and get, get your things organized right away. Um, details and data pile up. It's really important to make sure you have organized of who you've talked to, what's going on, what your touch points are, when you're going to be reaching back out to them, things like that. What's the most important KPI that you track and why? Yeah, I, I would say for sales and I'm more on the sales side. So that, that's more relevant in my KPIs. Uh, touches is, is the most important. So basically, you know, how many conversations are you having per week? Um, at the end of the game, entrepreneurship is about grit right? It's, it's, it's all a numbers game. So um, it's just about having as many conversations with as many potential buyers as you can. So that I would say is probably the most important, um, but my favorite and, and uh, you know, the one that I look forward to is definitely the innovation and intangible ones. Who's another uh, founder that you view as a personal mentor? Yeah. Uh, Andy Mack, give him a shout out here. Uh, so his company is Daily Vest. Um, they, they do LinkedIn marketing. Um, we actually were doing, uh, working with them. So, so they were doing some, uh, some LinkedIn stuff for us. And that's how I first got to know Andy. Um, you know, he's been an entrepreneur, been through the space himself. Um, and through time, he's, he's become a good friend and, and a mentor and someone I definitely look to for advice and bounce ideas off. Of. And then last one, pitch your company in one sentence. For sure. Uh, Aloa is a platform for outsourcing software development for startups. Love it. Well, that's everything I have. Again, really, really thank you for coming on. This has been awesome to hear your story. I think a lot of other people will love to hear this, but again, really appreciate it. It's been awesome. Absolutely. It was a blast. Appreciate you having me. Thanks for tuning in to today's Fireside Chat. If you like the show, please make sure to subscribe to stay on top of the latest episodes. 
You can also subscribe to Founders Fireside Chat's newsletter using the link in the description. Thanks again and look forward to taking you along the next Fireside Chat. Thank mm-hmm. you.